grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today's message comes from the Old Testament reading of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, as you heard a few moments ago. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, in April of 1998, Terry Cheek's body was found off the highway near Corona Lake in California's Temescal Valley. Cheek left behind a husband, two children, and Horace Roberts, her extramarital lover and co-worker. Riverside County prosecutors said a watch belonging to Roberts was found near her body. It was largely on this piece of evidence that prosecutors sent Roberts away to prison for second-degree murder in 1999. Twenty years later, after new DNA testing showed that the watch belonged to Cheeks' husband's nephew, the 60-year-old Roberts was freed from prison, and the nephew and husband were arrested. This is just one example that injustice does exist in this world. Here under the sun, the guilty sometimes go free, and the innocent are sometimes punished. But this is certainly nothing new. As Solomon looked around, he observed that the very same kinds of injustice were prevalent in his day as well. That observation led Solomon to answer the unasked question of, can we understand who God is based on what we see here on earth? The conclusion that Solomon draws to that question is, when it comes to God, there is more than meets the eye. That we can't figure out God based solely on what we see, hear, feel, taste, and smell in the world. This passage is the clearest warning yet against our tendency to base our ideas about God on our own experiences. We are also brought face to face with one of our greatest conflicts in life, the tension between God, whom we cannot see, and that which we can see. Or as the Apostle Paul described it, the tension between faith and sight. What did he conclude? For we live by faith, not by sight. You might even see that, say that this tension between faith and sight is really the essence of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon is constantly looking at everything under the sun and attempting to reconcile what he observes with what he knows about God. And that is not always an easy task, as many, if not all, of us have discovered in our own lives. The question of, am I going to base my understanding of God and how I live my life on what I see around me in this world? Or am I going to rely on what God has revealed to me in his word? Or to put it another way, do we change the word to fit our preconceived ideas based on our own experiences and observations? Or does the word change us? As we read through this passage, it might appear that Solomon is addressing two completely different topics here. He begins with his observations about the injustice around him, and, and then he writes about how men, like animals, die and return to dust. But there is a connection between these seemingly unrelated topics. In both cases, Solomon records his observations about what he sees going on in the world, and then thinks about what those observations might reveal to him about the nature of God and man. 
The first one, in places where there was supposed to be justice and righteousness, there was only wickedness. Just like today, innocent people were punished and the guilty went free. As Solomon observed all the injustices in the world, I'm sure he had to be asking some of the same questions that we hear all the time. Why does God allow suffering in the world? Why do the wicked seem to prosper so much more than the righteous? If God is so good and perfect and holy, why is there evil in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Maybe we've even asked some of these questions ourselves and more than these. And the one thing all these questions have in common is that they are drawing conclusions about God's character based on our own observations and not based on what God has revealed to us in the Bible. When we do this, certainly these themes, these things might seem to contradict one another. And as much of the world will tell you, it's easy to use these kinds of contradictions as reasons, excuses to not believe in God. And it's not hard to understand how people come to these conclusions based on their own painful experiences. The loss of a child or any loved one in some tragic way. Natural disasters. Mass shootings. Terrorist attacks. A terminal illness. And so on. Sometimes the only way to make sense of these things, the injustice of it all, is to take the knowledge and power and character of God away from him. To put the blame on him. That he is not all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful. Because these things happen, he cannot be these things because of all of this. And so it's all his fault. Fortunately, at least in this case, Solomon was able to look beyond just his own experiences and understand that there was more here than meets the eye. Solomon's perspective can help us see how we can honestly look at life's problems and still keep our faith. He says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Amidst all the injustice in the world, Solomon believed that God's justice was still to come. Solomon had faith to understand that God would one day bring about complete and perfect justice in every life, even though there was nothing he could observe that would lead him to that conclusion. It was based on God's revealed word. Solomon makes an interesting transition to his next illustration. Like all the other seasons of life, the timing of God's judgment is up to him, not to us. And in the end, both men and animals share the same fate. They both die. And from the dust we have all come, and to dust we will all return. In a way, death is God's message to us that we are finite and limited. We are not God, but rather we answer to him. This takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve faced the temptation to be like God when looking at that forbidden fruit, which really, every time we sin, every time we give into temptation, we're choosing to make ourselves God and determine what we think is best for us in our life, in this moment. For Adam and Eve, eating the fruit was the right decision, 
even though it was the only thing they were told not to do. And the result was that, at least in one respect, they would now be just like the animals. Animals and man were both made from the ground, and one of the results of their sin, as God tells them, is that they will return to the dust, the ground from where they were taken. We may think we are gods when we choose to live a life of sin, but the truth is we are nothing more than animals. So we die like animals. All creatures die. Their bodies will decay and return to dust. What advantage then does a human have over the animals? If there is no life beyond this life, none. No advantage at all. Physical death is the same for us all. But Solomon clearly believes that there is a difference in what happens to men and to animals upon their death. As he writes, Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? There's certainly enough teaching about life after death and the idea of resurrection in the Old Testament that Solomon would have understood that man has a soul which survives beyond the grave. Isaiah is one example. He writes, But your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Solomon also could have gone a few verses earlier in Genesis chapter 3 to hear the promise of the Savior who would come and defeat the serpent. And regardless of what the world tells us about this life, about life after death, about judgment, about any of the things that Solomon talks about in these few verses, we go to God's word for the final word. We heard it from Solomon himself. We are dust, and to dust we shall return. Unlike Solomon, though, we live on the other side of the cross. Dust we are, and to dust we return. Such is the wages, the result of sin. Physical death, yes, just like the animals. But we are also deserving of eternal death. Hell. But there is hope, because life is not meaningless. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is speaking to a crowd of people who had made an altar to an unknown God. He tells them that the unknown God is the true God who made the world and everything in it and who gives all people life and breath and everything else. Life and breath. When God formed you in the womb, he not only created your inmost being and knit you together, but he gave you life and he gave you breath. We can say in a way that we, like Adam, have been created from the dust of the earth because God formed us just like him and breathed life into us. God who created us and breathed life into us, who gave us flesh and blood, took on the same flesh and blood in his incarnation, being born of the Virgin Mary. This was his promise in Genesis chapter 3. An offspring of Eve would come God became man, the man Jesus Christ, true God and true man. And that should leave us satisfied enough. But God went even further because he had to. Not only did he take on our flesh and blood, he took our death, the punishment that our sins deserve. He took hell for us 
He died in our place. He became dust for us. He returned to the ground as he was buried in the earth. In his death, he lifted off from us the burden of our sin to bear it in his own body. He took all our failures as his own. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God so that we might become holy even as he is holy. But there is no sin in him. Therefore, in him there could be no death. Thus he gave up his life voluntarily. He not only died, but he also died with the sin of the world upon him. All of it. Your sin, my sin, everyone's sins. Thus the Lord revealed that he is indeed merciful, compassionate, and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast, unconditional love. He bore your sin to death, that neither death nor sin might be the end of you. That is the measure of his love and power. How much does God love you? This much, he says, as he stretches out his arms and dies. Jesus, the only innocent one, was punished on our behalf. The wrath of God was poured out on him so that the true guilty ones, each and every one of us, would be free. That is God's justice. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And his resurrection from the dead proved that this life doesn't end in our death, but there is an eternity that awaits us. And for all who believe, it is a glorious eternity at that, because our faith is anything but meaningless. Amen. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.